So for those who are not familiar with the It Gets Better story, um, it, it's, it's incredibly powerful, it's incredibly emotional. There was a young man who in and around 2010, his name was Billy Lucas, uh, was motivated effectively to kill himself by students at a school who bullied him for perceiving him to be gay. Hmm. And not only did they move him uh, to kill himself, but once he had died, those same kids went on the Facebook page set up by his family uh, to further insult him even after his death, basically calling the kid um, a faggot mm. and making uh, the family and friends feel you know, about as bad as you could possibly feel. And that enraged a lot of people. One in specific was a notable, a guy named Dan Savage, who's a famous columnist. And Dan and his partner, Terry Miller, were moved to the point that they said, this is unacceptable and this is wrong. And so Dan and Terry made a video and put it on YouTube to simply express their point of view on how what must seem really horrible as a young person gets better, as I said, with age, time, and wisdom. Their ambition was maybe some people would follow in their footsteps and add some videos. I think their goal was if they could get 100 videos in a reasonable amount of time, they would think they, they more than hit their goal. Well, they didn't just get 100 videos, they got thousands of videos. What is going on, my friends? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Kellagery, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing that bad boy down to its core golden nuggets, bringing the author on the show, having a conversation with him about the golden nuggets, and I'm here every single week, just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Now, this is the last week to get your entry in for the quarter. Again, you know how this deal goes if you've listened before. This quarter, I'm giving away either an Amazon Echo, Google Home, or Apple HomePod. And all you got to do to get entered in the draw is rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening on. If they have the capability to do that, then please rate and review the show. Take a screen capture of it. Send it to podcast at ryancalajuri.com so I know you did it. Then I'll make sure you get entered into the draw every quarter for a prize. I'm going to draw that next quarter or next quarter. I'm going to draw that next week. And uh, I'll send it to the person who wins an email, ask them what they want, and I'll ship it right to them nice and easy. So if you haven't done it yet, get your entries in. It's your last week to get it in. And of course, if you've already done it, you're already entered into the draw from now on moving forward. Also, don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's always good to see all the listeners connecting with me. And I've seen the numbers, obviously, of people who've listened to um, uh, reach out to me. So get online, connect with me, and uh, just give me a quick hi and tell me that you found me through the podcast. All right. This week, what are we talking about? We're talking about a topic we don't hear too much about today, and that's legacy. What is your legacy? What legacy are you leaving behind? Something we don't think too much about. You know, we live for today. We live in the present. We live in the short-term economy. And because of that, we don't really think about what we're building, what we're leaving when we leave this earth. A lot of you, I'd wager, probably aren't even thinking about legacy. You're not probably leaving a legacy, something that lasts way beyond your time here on earth. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a little bit about legacy, and I think it's great that he talks about legacy because it's something that really gives purpose. It gives meaning to our life. And again, we had Emily Esfahani Smith on a number of episodes ago talking about what brings meaning to your life. Maybe building your legacy is a part of that. In any case, we bring on Mark Miller. The book is Legacy in the Making, Building a Long-Term Brand to Stand Out in a Short-Term World. 
I really enjoyed talking to Mark and the poor guy. He was suffering from a really bad cold and struggling his way through it. But man, I, I give the man props for doing it. And I, I really appreciate him coming on the show as he's launching this book this week. But Mark talked a lot about legacy and different companies that are leaving legacies and the things that you can do to start leaving a legacy. And there's one, uh, one golden nugget in there. Golden nugget number two, I really liked it because um, that to me was one of the biggest takeaways for me. And I'm not going to spoil it for you. You got to listen to what golden nugget number two is. But I really feel that every single one of us needs to keep this in mind. Hell, I'll tell you what it is. It's something called Ikigai. And I think that all of us need to keep Ikigai in mind as we start thinking about our careers, as we start thinking about what we want to do with our lives. When we start thinking about purpose, when we start thinking about legacy, you got to keep Ikigai in mind. And the whole podcast is filled with different stories of people talking about how they left legacies and the things that they've done. And I really think it adds a really nice element to the podcast because we don't talk about this all that often. So for me to bring that to you, really excited about it. All right, so enough jibber-jabber. Let's get right into this one. Again, this is Mark Miller, Legacy in the Making, building a long-term brand to stand out in a short-term world. I will catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy it. Mark, how you doing, my friend? Awesome. Thanks for, uh, for having us on the program, Ryan. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. So for anybody who doesn't know who you are, Mark, give us a little bit of an introduction into who you are and what you do. Absolutely. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Team One in Los Angeles. Um, my parents have no idea what that means, but I get to say chief in front of it, and they're pretty good with that. Uh, <laughs> Team One's a, a large agency, communications agency. There's about five, 500 of us who work here. We have offices in Los Angeles, Dallas, New York, and Chicago. And um, principally, I oversee the cultural anthropologists and the strategic analysts and the planners. Germane to the book, we also run a practice inside this agency called the Legacy Lab. And the premise of the Legacy Lab is to understand legacy not as a backward-looking idea, but as a forward-looking idea. And uh, the book in specific came out of the work of the Legacy Lab. Hmm. So this idea of legacy, like you and I were talking about before we got on the podcast, we're starting to hear some people make mention of this thing called legacy. And it's a big word because we're sitting here in the dredges of, you know, the trenches of doing work every single day. And I don't think we think about legacy. So I'm happy that you're bringing this to the forefront for us to start thinking about it. So maybe for people out there who don't quite grasp what legacy is, what is legacy and why should we start to um, focus on creating one? The best way to tell the story is um, is just the origins of how this all began for us. And uh, what you'll discover, as we discovered through the process, is, well, there was legacy of old, and there is legacy of today and onward. Uh, very specifically, in and around 2012, we were doing some work for Lexus and the Ritz-Carlton. And those brands were coming up on milestone moments. One was about to turn 25, <clears throat> excuse me, and one was about to turn 30. Hmm. And they looked at their sense of time and history very differently Lexus felt that 25 years was too young to talk about in the context of BMW and Mercedes that had been around for much longer. And the Ritz-Carlton felt that 30 years was too old to talk about in the context of a hotel category that favored everything new. And so inspired by that, me, uh, my co-author Lucas, uh, the group of us who work in the Legacy Lab, just began to talk to people about time, place, history, and legacy. Hmm. And through the work, what we came to understand is there are two prevailing points of views. One, the traditional point of view, has a reverence for the idea of gifting, which is basically the passing down of artifacts, personal property, symbolic rituals, traditions, and so on. And the aim of gifting, particularly in the marketing world, is about protecting and honoring and preserving a brand's past. If you're familiar with the brand Patek Philippe, they have a lovely uh, slogan, 
which is you never actually own a Patek Philippe. You merely look after it for the next generation. Hmm. And that's a, a lovely example of the old definition, effectively, of legacy. Hmm. Meanwhile, what we found is a new emerging approach to the topic. Um, some people called it transmission. Transmission was kind of the idea of taking an artifact or a, um, a story from the past and pulling it forward and updating it for the present day. So you acknowledge tradition and heritage, but you reimagine it for the times. So whether you call it transition or modern legacy, that is really the focus of our work in the book. We're not talking about those who read from history. We're talking about those who write history every day. We want to dig deeper into legacy. The one thing I really enjoyed about the book was the stories. And you've already made mention to a few of the case studies there that you talk about, um, Lexus, the Ritz-Carlton. And throughout this podcast, I'm going to get you to reference different stories to help crystallize some of these points. So as we dig into it, Golden Nugget number one says that every legacy in the making begins with a long-term personal ambition. So what do you mean by that? And when you explain what that means, tell us the story behind the Tribeca Film Festival. One of the best ways to understand the book is through understanding the transformations that we talk about. So in specific, when we think about old world legacy makers, these are the people who buy into the notion that my only responsibility is to maximize shareholder revenue in a conventional way. So I get a job, I go to work, I make as much money as possible, and I'm good. Eventually I'll retire. I'll achieve all my short-term goals and I'll be a, a happy person. But the people that we really focus on, as you say, the stories in the book, are people who are chasing and pursuing something much more important. Mm -hmm. um, a, a lovely bit of language is the guys at the Tribeca Film Festival talk about contribution before extraction, making a difference in the world before they ever think about taking money out of the world. In specific, Tribeca Film Festival launched in and around the attacks of September the 11th. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember that Jane Rosenthal, Robert De Niro, Craig Hatkoff, the co-founders of the festival, that was their home. So these weren't people who were just capitalists saying, how do I take advantage of the moment? There were people who live in the city who love the city. Hmm. Their ambition was to bring a city back to normalcy, to give a city vibrancy and vitality. But they had to do it using something that they knew. And what they knew, principally, was the world of film and entertainment. Hmm. So if their first endeavor was to create dinner downtown, 600 guests uh, populating local restaurants, spending money with local vendors, making the city at least a little bit more vital in a moment of sort of terror. Their next effort was to escalate it. Instead of servicing 600 people at a time, what if they could service thousands of people? What if they could bring a whole community from outside of New York right to the hub of New York? And that was the impetus for the Tribeca Film Festival. There's a really lovely piece in the book, a bit of language that says, the world did not need another film festival, and it did not. Uh, Toronto existed, Cannes existed, Sundance existed, there was no shortage of uh, local film festivals, national film festivals, global film festivals. Hmm. This didn't succeed because it was a film festival. It succeeded because they were trying to do something that changed the world, make New York a better place, make New York vital, bring the city back to normalcy. So I love that idea when they said contribution before extraction, um, it, it's such a lovely thing. And that's not what institutional leaders do. Institutional leaders come to organizations and say, maximize shareholder revenue, done. Mm. But these were leaders leading with personal importance. They cared about what they were doing. They were going to solve a problem, and they did. So now we're looking at Golden Nugget number two, where we talk about this thing called Ikigai. 
So tell us what, <laughs> what, what Ikigai is and how does that lead us to find happiness? One of the things that was really important to Lucas and me when we were writing the book was to not simply have a list of um, ideologies and philosophies that emotionally felt good, but ultimately were not actionable. So we put a, a great deal of emphasis in finding and distilling and in some cases creating effectively measures of success rather that as you were working on a legacy that would last a lifetime and beyond a lifetime would either propel you on that journey or help you to measure how you were doing on that journey. And Ikigai was an idea that was introduced to us by a guy named Brent Bushnell who runs a really interesting company focused on uh, STEAM, science, technology, engineering, uh, art, and math. And what he proposed to us was he had come across something in his lifetime that really motivated him, and it was this measure called Ikigai. It has four components. It is do what you love, do what you are good at, do what you can be paid for, and do what the world needs. And the belief is that if you can find a career greater than a job or a calling greater than a career that lives at the intersection of those four things, then you will be well on your way toward a life of happiness, a life of meaning, quite literally, a guy translates into a reason for being. Mm. And so all of this is greater than simply saying, uh, I'm a young kid that's coming out of school, how do I make the greatest amount of money possible? Or I'm a young kid and I'm coming out of school and all I want to do is pursue my passion. I think there's something uh, tremendously insightful about there's nothing wrong with following your passion, there's nothing wrong with following something that pays you a lot of money, but it better be something that the world needs and it better be something that you're good at doing. <laughs> Because all four of those are the secrets to success and effectively happiness. Yeah, when I read that, I, it really struck me. I actually went ahead and printed that up and put it on the wall in my office because it's so subtle. And it doesn't take up a lot of space in the book. But it's so important for all of us to remember that. Where, you know, if you're raising kids, you say, you know what, do what you love. Yeah, do what you love. But you got to make sure that you're getting paid for. And you got to make sure there's a need for it, that the world wants it. And it's just so simple. It's just four bullets in the book. And it's just once you read that, you think about that, you're like, man, that is that is so true. There's a very simple formula to success. And that's what it is. Ikigai. It's beautiful. And I really, really enjoyed reading that part in the chapter. And I think it's important for all of us to to know what Ikigai is and commit that to memory. Whenever you're thinking of starting up a new endeavor or for my entrepreneurs out there, out there who are listening right now who are thinking of starting up a new business uh, or even if you're working in a company right now and you're thinking about going out and starting up a business, um, there is an opportunity for you out there. But before you do that, maybe consider Ikigai a little bit. So before we go into the next one... Um, I just want to say, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show, too, because right now, I mean, if anyone's listening out there right now on Cut the Crap Podcast Nation who doesn't know, Mark, you're a little under the weather right now, so you're, you're a trooper pushing out a podcast with me, man, so thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm a Canadian living in Los Angeles. I seem to have brought the Canadian cold uh, with me. So, Mark, now we're going to look at the next piece here. We're going to dig into it. So, golden nugget number three. We talk about modern legacy builders and how these modern legacy builders, they understand that a strong culture is built on behaving your beliefs. What does that mean, behaving your beliefs? Like, why is that important? And as you explain that to us, tell us the story behind the Bluebird Cafe and how they behave their beliefs. Yeah, I, I love the Bluebird story. And in fact, uh, most, if not all the stories come from the fact that they're inspirational, hopefully for many people, um, but they have a particular importance uh, to me as well. And, and Bluebird, it, Bluebird rather is certainly one of those. I, I think what everyone in business would agree with is there is no shortage of internal documentation that claims 
this is what our organization is about. Is about. Uh, whether they're missions or visions or purpose statements, whether they're manifestos, credos, and more. There are a series of prescriptive documents that organizations post on walls, and they tell people who work there, <clears throat> learn these words and repeat after me. It's not really a call to action to understand the words, to live the words, to create in the spirit of the words, but rather to simply repeat. And this notion of repeating is is perfectly fine if you live in the world of old world legacy because it's about repeating history, but our concept is built around bringing history forward. So I'll give you a lovely example, and it is Amy Curlin who created the Bluebird Cafe. For those who don't know the Bluebird, it's one of the most iconic listening rooms in the world to hear country's best songwriters, uh, Vince Gill, Dirk Bentley, Keith Urban, Taylor Swift, and many more. And here's the most amazing thing about it. It only has 100 seats inside. So this place that has this worldwide reputation for being um, famous, remarkable, exceptional, is actually quite small and intimate. And the reason for that is because Amy Curlin's idea was really specific. She wasn't building a restaurant or a bar. It does have food. It does have a bar. But she was building an exceptional listening room. Her audience, before the 100 people sitting in their seats, was the musicians. She wanted the songwriters to feel listened to. She wanted the songwriters to feel heard. And the room, the space, was built with reverence to the songwriters. Mm. And she maintained that for so many years. The reputation grew, but the space always stayed at the size of 100 people. Mm. And so as she was thinking about retirement, she had a, a choice to make. She could take the brand that she built that had a very famous reputation, sell it to the highest bidder, and she knew what would happen. They knocked down the walls, or they'd move the space, they'd build a bigger venue, it would become more about the food in the bar than it was about the musicians, but she would personally profit tremendously. Mm-hmm. The other thing that she could have done is what she did, which is she found someone who was like-minded, whose sole mission was to protect the musicians. She ended up partnering with the National Songwriters Association. Her idea was she was gonna give it to them for free. She just wanted someone who protected the thing that she built and would help to grow it and expand it, albeit in the spirit in which it was designed. And that's what she did. And, and, and to me, that's just a very brave idea. It's not that she wound up not a successful person in life. She is a successful person in life. Hmm. It's not that she didn't wind up with her own version of uh, remuneration um, or success, but totally on her own terms. Hmm. And I just love it. She, she didn't write a manifesto that said do one thing and behave differently, she lived her beliefs. Building a legacy, it's about generating influence, amplifying the impact that you have on the world by enlisting the help of advocates, the media, um, other businesses, for example, other influencers. So tell us how we can enlist such influencers to our cause. And when you're explaining this point, use the story of the It Gets Better project to clarify that point. Sure. So a characteristic of the book, everything is built around transformations, the way the world used to be and the way the world is emerging to be right now. And in this chapter, what we talk about is the old model was the brand was in charge, the marketer was in charge, they told the market what they wanted them to do, and the consumer's responsibility was to follow the market, to follow the brand, to do as I was instructed. And yet today we live in a world where if you want to live on, if you want to endure, Um, you have to change the nature of that relationship. So at minimum, it's about inviting people in to participate. And at maximum, it's about aiding them in their pursuit to help act on behalf of the brand, 
that they are co-owners of the brand, um, at times complete owners of the brand. And It Gets Better is a lovely example of a brand that embraces that uh, to the fullest. So for those who are not familiar with the It Gets Better story, um, it, it's, it's incredibly powerful, it's incredibly emotional. There was a young man who in and around 2010, his name was Billy Lucas, uh, was motivated effectively to kill himself by students at a school who bullied him for perceiving him to be gay. And not only did they move him uh, to kill himself, but once he had died, those same kids went on the Facebook page set up by his family uh, to further insult him even after his death, basically calling the kid um, a faggot and making uh, the family and friends feel you know, about as bad as you could possibly feel. And that enraged a lot of people. One in specific was a notable, a guy named Dan Savage, who's a famous columnist. And Dan and his partner, Terry Miller, were moved to the point that they said, this is unacceptable and this is wrong. And what young Billy Lucas didn't realize was that with age and wisdom and perspective, what probably felt like the worst thing in the world uh, to a young man is something that does get better over time. And so Dan and Terry made a video and put it on YouTube to simply express their point of view on how what must seem really horrible as a young person gets better, as I said, with age, time, and wisdom. Their ambition was maybe some people would follow in their footsteps and add some videos. I think their goal was if they could get 100 videos in a reasonable amount of time, they would think they, they more than hit their goal. Well, they didn't just get 100 videos, they got thousands of videos. And they didn't just get thousands of videos, they got thousands of videos from some pretty amazing people. Uh, President Obama, um, singers, songwriters, entertainers uh, of all stripes. And it started out very simply. It was Dan and Terry espousing their point of view on how they thought this should go for people dealing with issues of um, sexuality, for example. And instead of telling people, here's how you must follow us, they simply said, we're leading by example. Here's the way we did it. If you'd like to join, do it. They didn't police it. Mm -hmm. They set it free in the world. And in setting it free in the world, they created an amazing change reaction. To this day, it gets better, continues to grow. To this day, in a world where hate persists, you have movements, specifically it gets better, owned not just by Dan and Terry, but by the people who populate it, who are helping to say what happened in the past is no longer acceptable, and we're going to give guidance and a roadmap and a compass to young people for the future. And, and I love it because many older brands say, we hoard our information. You can only do it the way we want. And these guys went exactly the other way. What Dan Savage would tell you is they created something that was easy for other people to do, and you could see the impact right in front of your face. So instead of saying, give us money for a cause we care about, they said, here's something you can do. <laughs> here's something that you can do to make a meaningful difference. And watch what happens when you add your video and the next person adds their video. So they talked about accessibility. They talked about a doable difference, and they talked about a change that was actually making a change. So when you think about this idea of the It Gets Better project, the project by itself is incredibly impactful. There's a need for it. It touches people right at the heart. But there's people out there who work in businesses who are trying to create movements and they're, they're doing their best to create this movement, which is really marketing driven, and they're trying to build up their own tribe. What are they doing wrong, Mark, for people out there who are trying to build this 
this influence in the marketplace. They're trying to get people behind their initiatives. They want to build this tribe. What are they doing wrong that somebody like, you know, Dan Savage, the It, Get, it, it, the it Gets Better project, what did they do right? And what can business leaders learn from that? I believe that Dan would say, for example, that the vast majority of marketers are attempting, as you say, to build movements, but they're really still putting their arms around it. They're trying to direct those movements. They're trying to tell them the shape they should appear in, the direction they should move in, the actions that people need to take exactly. And when the movements don't behave accordingly, you see brands get involved and try to hide things, mask things, change things. <laughs> you know, it's one thing, it's sort of like we talk about behavior beliefs. You can't on the one hand say, we want to set an idea free, but then on the other hand say, we don't like the way you're messing with it. Mm-hmm. And, and those guys really committed to the cause, which is, here's our expression of how we think things get better. Effectively, what's your expression? Mm-hmm. They created a platform for everyone to have a voice. And they did not police. And that's made a, a meaningful difference to the way they succeed. Now, Mark, in Golden Nugget number five, you talk about inventing your own game. So are you simply working to put your brand on the conventional map? Or are you charting a modern legacy on a map of your own making? It's a big difference there. So tell us how we can build such bold legacies. And while you do that, tell us the story about how Grey, Gro- Grey Goose disrupted this category and defied convention. I really love uh, a bit of language that we've probably collectively seen in the press over the past short while. And the bit of language says some version of don't just be the best at what you do, be the only ones who do it. Mm -hmm. And I have to believe that most of your listeners, certainly yourself, I know for myself and my co-author Lucas, we've worked with a ton of brands that state as the goal, they want to be the number one in their category. Mm -hmm. And the way they pursue number one is a deconstruction of what number one is doing today. And their path to success is usually defined as doing it a little bit better than them. The old CPG model was built principally around that idea. If the others are 5% better, make ours 10% better. Um, In the world of automotive, um, if a horsepower is X amount, let's make ours X amount plus one. These aren't sustainable. Um, They're ultimately substitutable. They're ultimately switchable. Someone will come along and do it X percent better than you. But the ones who really subscribe to this notion of not just better but different are the ones who are setting themselves up for a lifetime's worth of success. And as you say, Grey Goose is just one of those fascinating examples where the principal founder, Sidney Frank, was probably most famous for the work he did with Jägermeister. And based off the success of what he did with Jägermeister, he had an idea about bringing true innovation and change uh, to the world of vodka. And if you sort of look at the, the premise of what vodka was all about, a category without taste, a category where even premium price products were not particularly premium priced, where the marketing was not particularly important to the story because it was always sort of the second ingredient in another drink. Hmm. And he went antithetical to all of that. He was going to take a category not defined by taste, and he worked with a seller master, uh, Francois Thibault, to create a vodka that had a distinct taste. And in fact, in the, in the first year of release, they, they won an accolade, excuse me, they won an accolade the best tasting vodka in a category where best tasting was never a favorable thing to say <laughs> having no taste was was the success yeah so they were antithetical the price was basically double what the next premium price vodka was the marketing was premium and luxury based they turned the category upside down and they created a space that never existed now everyone who came next 
was a follower. Mm-hmm. You can lead, you can follow, you, or you can fall behind. These guys were leading, and they had no interest in just being marginally better than the rest. They leaned into something that nobody else was doing. Inherently, whoever came next would be the follower. Mm-hmm. In, in the same chapter, we talk about brands like Lexus. Another lovely example. Um, luxury was defined by a high price in the automotive space. <clears throat> they went in with a more accessible price. Luxury was defined only by the sheet metal. Lexus made the consumer experience equally important to what was going on. There's no shortage of exceptional examples of brands that not only succeeded in the short term, but the long term by doing things that were just different and not better. And we have a really high regard for those brands. Yeah, we do. And the challenge is the difficulty in doing that. It is so hard to me when I look at what companies are doing today. And they're playing this me too game where it's just, I just want to get in the game and we start working in our business and not on our business. And we just get into this routine. We start getting on autopilot and we stop taking ourselves outside of the business to look and say, what are we doing differently? You know, what are we doing differently from everybody else? What's the challenge? So in your in your professional experience, Mark, what do you think the difference is between companies who are kind of playing that me too game and companies like Grey Goose, like, VOD, uh, like, um, like Lexus? What did they do differently that maybe other companies aren't doing? And what's a lesson that maybe they can take from those companies? It's, it's, a, it's an important question. I think the answer um, is simple to give, though hard to execute. And the reason why I think it's simple to give is it actually is the first chapter in the book when we say take leadership personally that most organizations are built around the principle of consensus. Most organizations are built around the principle of minimizing risks. Most organizations are built around the conventional metric of extracting money from the world before ever making contribution. And all the stories, all the leaders, all the brands that we cover in our book are people who are driven by a higher sense of ambition, a higher sense of long-term contribution, of people who are trying to do something more important and more substantial than making their quick buck and getting out of the game. And as I said, it's, it's easy to say that. These are the people that when we go to conferences, we sit in the seats, we see them up on stage, we applaud them, and then we go back to our jobs and we do the conventional thing. Mm-hmm. But the people who succeed unconventionally are the ones who are driven by something fundamentally different. We talked about Ikigai earlier on. If, if you have no other direction, start with that. Mm-hmm. What are you good at? What will people pay you more for? What does the world need more of? <laughs> um, it's Ikigai. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that there's place in the world for both of them. Not everybody can be a Lexus or not everybody can be a Grey Goose. So maybe you disagree with me. I feel like there's a place no, for both, right? There's, it's balance. But for those of you out there who believe that there's more to your life than just working in a J-O-B, uh, there's more to your life than just putting out a Me Too kind of brand and you want to strive to create something that does stand out from the rest of the marketplace and you do want to chart your own math map, you do want to create legacy, then you look to these companies like Grey Goose, like Lexus, as shining examples of what could be if you have the guts, if you have the courage and the focus to take something and do something a little bit different and create a legacy for yourself. So Mark, we're wrapping up here this interview and uh, the last piece here, golden nugget number six, we're talking about something that, of course, it's close to me. I'm a hockey fan here, big, big Winnipeg Jets fan. So we're going to get you to reference the Toronto Maple Leafs. But before we go into that, golden nugget number six says, never stop making legacy. Brands that stop evolving, they inevitably die in today's short-term economy. So 
I want you to tell us how we can build long-lasting brands. And while you do that, tell us how the Toronto Maple Leafs are currently doing that. Um, so full disclosure, I am also a hockey fan. <laughs> um, having, having grown up in Canada, I was required to play hockey. <laughs> and living here in the United States, people just assume I'm a really good hockey player or I was that bad that Canada sent me here. So, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> with that said, uh, there's a lovely expression in our book, um, or one that I particularly like, that talks about the distinction between in life there will be those who read from history and those who will be writing history or making legacy every day. In a sense, as I said, that's the distinction between sort of the traditional point of view that legacy is either backward looking or as we have a reverence for uh, modern legacy, which is forward looking and something that you create each and every day. So it, it, one of the things that Lucas and I like to say to one another is our, our book is not the museum of legacy makers not the Hall of Fame of legacy makers. They're the people who, at the time of writing, were doing some exceptional things. And what we're curious to see is, will they continue to do them every day? Mm. Because those are the stories we're interested to follow. With, with that said, um, a, a bit of personal nostalgia here. As you know, or as, as I believe I shared, I grew up in Toronto. Um, I would go to the hockey games with my dad at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. I saw some pretty amazing players in my time. Uh, Daryl Sittler, Borea Salming, uh, Mike Paul Mateer, nice. but I saw some really bad teams. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, it, it, you would go to the games basically expecting that you would pay a lot of money. You would sometimes um, hope to see another great team on the other side of the ice, but you basically knew the home team was probably going to lose, and they certainly weren't going to make it to the playoffs. And um, that was not only my experience. When Brendan Shanahan got the call <laughs> to come take over the team, he had the shared experience. The team last, uh, won a championship, as you know, I believe in 1967. Mm -hmm. So that meant that Shanahan, just like me, saw a bunch of losing teams. The difference between him and me, of course, is he's an excellent hockey player. He's a super smart business guy. And he was going to take everything he knew and not just build a winning team for the short term. His ambition was to build a culture of winning, mm -hmm. to restore a dynasty of exceptional talent and performance on the ice. And he went out basically after the first year, and said a very true and honest thing to everyone, which is, my ambition is we're going to build a long-term winner, and I'm telling you that for today, for the short term, we are going to suck. Because I'm not going to sell out the short term for the long term. I'm going to invest in the short term in such a manner that the long term pays out for all of us. I believe his specific example was, we probably have the money that we could go out and turn a, an underperforming team into a pretty good team but that does not equal my standard of a dynasty of winning. So as you, as you know, as well as me, uh, Mike Babcock comes in, an exceptional coach. Uh, Lou Lamorello comes in, mm -hmm. exceptional general manager. The, the few bits of talent they have on the ice, like Kessel, mm -hmm. trade him for future talent. And there must have been a bunch of people who looked at what these guys were doing, looked at the money that was being spent, uh, looked at the years of failure of the team, and said, this is one of those plans that, boy, we wish it would pay out, but there's no expectation that it will. Babcock is great. <clears throat> Shanahan is great. Lamorello is great. But who are these young kids? Mm -hmm. And look at the team we have now. Yeah, no those, young kids are, those young kids are changing the face of the game. <clears throat> I have to come to Los Angeles to see two Stanley Cups. I thought I'd never see a Stanley Cup in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And this year, you have people who honestly believe that team could make it. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but there's proof on the ice that the investment in the future could pay out for today and tomorrow.
one of the things that uh, Shanahan said to me was he said anyone could have a plan, but effectively the legacy makers are the ones who have the guts and courage to stick with it. Hmm. Because there are going to be times where Austin Matthews gets an injury and the team does not perform as well. There are going to be times where the salary cap may affect performance. It's not like every day is going to be perfect, but the ones who have the guts and the courage to stick with the plan are the ones who have the chance to succeed. He's incredibly inspirational to me. The performance on the team backs the commitment. I think it's an amazing 100-year-old franchise that hasn't won in years that's igniting a city and a hockey league with hope and belief. That, my friend, is a great story to end off on. And again, you know, what Shanahan's doing, what Lamarillo's doing, what Babcock's doing, it's not easy. And they, they, took, they took a whole bunch of heat for what they were doing. But again, they had vision and they believed in that. And this idea of legacy is so damn important. And sometimes we're too short-sighted. We look at what we're having now, what's going on tomorrow, what happened yesterday, but we're not thinking years, decades down the line in terms of what you're doing to create an impact on this world. Before I let you go here, why don't you tell us a little bit about when the book's coming out and uh, if you have anything um, that you want to share with anybody, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they go about doing that? Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to chat with you. Um, I'm just so passionate about this topic and it's wonderful to have an audience uh, who's equally passionate about it. So thank you for the time to, uh, to, to discuss and share. In terms of when the book is available, uh, officially available March the 30th, unofficially available today, March the 23rd, uh, which just <laughs> happens, to be my, happens to be my birthday. And, um, Get out of here. Happy birthday, you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. If you believe in, uh, in substantial legacies, it's a moment of serendipity that the publisher was not aware of, but the, uh, the final manuscript was due the day my daughter uh, was born. Wow. The printing of the book occurred on uh, my dad's 80th birthday. Wow. And uh, the release of the book is today on my birthday. So um, <laughs> Incredible. Wow. <laughs> even if you don't like legacy and you just believe in good luck, you might want to check out the book. Yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, available on Amazon.com, available at every major retailer. Um, if you do want to get in touch with me directly, um, here's my email address. It is mark, M-A-R-K, dot Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, at, and get ready for this because it's all one word, team1, T-E-A-M-O-N-E, hyphen, USA.com. Wonderful. Well, Mark, again, thank you so much for making the time today to come on the show again. I know you're you're feeling under the weather, so you trooped it out, my man. And uh, no, it, it was just a real treat having you on the show, talking about this awesome topic and uh, having you come on here about the book. And best of luck on the upcoming book tour and the release, my friend. Thank you very, very much. All right, there we have it. That is Legacy in the Making, building a long-term brand to stand out in a short-term world. I give it up for Mark coming on the show with that cold. He was struggling through, but man, I, uh, I give him props. I give the man props for doing that. It was great having him on the show and great talking about this very important topic of legacy. For those of you who are thinking about legacy, you folks are the ones who are thinking strategically. You're thinking a few years down the line. And I know that not all of you are there, and that's okay. It's all right. But you got to be thinking about legacy at some point in time. What are you leaving behind on this earth? What brand? What product? What article, what podcast, what videos, what can you create, what can you develop that will last beyond your years here on earth? It's something I believe you have to focus on to add some purpose to your life. Of course, it's not the only thing, but it's one thing that can add purpose to your life. Legacy. Something so important. I truly love the the topic 
And I love that we're talking a little bit more about this. And I hope that we hear more about legacy, because I believe that when we start thinking legacy, that's when we get our minds right. We get our minds right on talking about building something that's long-term, something that we can be passionate about, something that's very important to us. And that, that can only bring good things to your life. Again, thank you so much to all of you for tuning in this week. Don't forget to rate and review the show if you haven't done it yet. This is your last week to get in on the draw for this quarter's prize, either an Amazon Echo, Google Home, or Apple HomePod. All you got to do is rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening on, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is. Rate and review the show and send that rating, send that review. Just take a picture of it and send it to podcast at ryancalajury.com. And I'll make sure you get entered into the draw this quarter and every quarter for a prize. If you've already done that, you know the deal. You're already entered in the draw. Again, don't forget, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you haven't done it yet, connect with me and uh, just say hi. Tell me you found me through the podcast and tell me how much you enjoy the podcast. And uh, just great to connect with all of you out there. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. Thank you so much to all of you for tuning in. Again, next week, I'm really excited. I'm going to launch the Seth Godin podcast next week. I know that a lot of you were waiting for that, wondering when that one's coming out. It's coming out next week. It was really awesome getting Seth on the show, and I can't wait to launch that one. So definitely tune in next week for the Seth Godin episode where we talk about the book Lynchpin. Very excited to have him on. But until next week, my friends, I hope that you all have a fantastic, productive week. Take it easy. I love you guys.